Hi, Andy. Hi, Victoria. Today, we have Dr. Louis Ignaro, who is a Nobel Prize winner. And the discoverer of the great importance of a very simple molecule, nitric oxide, one of the body's signaling molecules responsible for maintaining our arteries in good health and heart in good health. He's a fascinating man. Yes, and he's sometimes called, to his mother's displeasure, the father of Viagra. So I think we'll hear about that, too. <laughs> okay. Let's welcome him. Dr. Louis Signaro earned his doctorate in pharmacology at the University of Minnesota and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the National Institutes of Health. As a professor at the Tulane School of Medicine, Dr. Ignaro began his basic science research into nitric oxide, which he continued as faculty at UCLA. He discovered that nitric oxide relaxes vascular smooth muscle and is biosynthesized in mammalian cells. His discovery advanced our understanding of heart disease, and he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1998 for the discovery that nitric oxide acts as a signaling molecule in the cardiovascular system. He has received numerous other prizes and has devoted his life to improving heart health. Welcome, Lou. Thanks very much, Victoria. It's so great to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you, and we're going to be talking today about nitric oxide. So can you explain for our listeners, what is it and what does it do in the body? Sure. I'll try to do that very, very briefly. First of all, chemically speaking, nitric oxide is a very small molecule, and it's actually a gas. It's a gas just like oxygen. It's a gas that's found in our environment, and it's been known for years and years. In fact, Joseph Priestley discovered nitric oxide before he discovered oxygen. <laughs> That's how old nitric oxide is. But no one knew for well over 100 years that nitric oxide would turn out to play an important role in our bodies. We started off looking at the mechanism of action of nitroglycerin, which is a vasodilator, and we showed that it works by being metabolized to nitric oxide. And so as a pharmacologist, I started studying the pharmacology of nitric oxide, and that's when we discovered it was a vasodilator and that it inhibited blood clotting by inhibiting platelet aggregation. And so I was so taken by the incredible pharmacology of this molecule that I thought that perhaps our bodies, especially our arteries, may produce such a molecule. And so we set out to do that, and we made that discovery that our arteries actually produce nitric oxide for the purpose of controlling blood pressure, because it is a vasodilator, and by that mechanism, of course, it improves blood flow to various organs, and by serving as an inhibitor of platelet aggregation, we suspected that the nitric oxide produced by our arteries may play a protective role in preventing unwanted blood clotting. In other words, preventing stroke and myocardial infarction. So that's Lou, all I remember in a nutshell. When there was first publicity about the discovery, it just seemed astounding to me because the other signaling molecules we knew about were much larger molecules, more complicated compounds. And here was such a simple molecule 
and and aghast that that had such a role just seemed very surprising. Well, it was very surprising. <laughs> I mean, nature is very simple. It's incredibly simple. I mean, we make nitric oxide everywhere in our body, and not every tissue makes it at the same time. Different signals in different organs, in different regions, in different cells will trigger the local formation of nitric oxide, which will do its thing at that particular site. So that saves a, a lot of energy. I find it to be incredible that one molecule can produce so many different kinds of effects, but specifically, that is not all at the same time. But you're right, Andy, the fact that nitric oxide is such a simple molecule, right? One atom of nitrogen, one atom of oxygen, NO, and that it's a gaseous molecule. No one ever thought a gas would play a role as a signaling molecule. That's what took so long to discover that our bodies produce nitric oxide and that NO occurs naturally because this idea came up several years before we made the discovery. But I kept saying to myself, how could a gas like NO be important? How could it exist? inside of mammalian cells. Number one, it's a gas. Number two, it's extremely unstable, has a half-life of two or three seconds. But you know, you just, you just move ahead. You just, you know, you never give up. You don't let the chemistry slow you down. You just do the work and, and go after it. You mentioned that it has these effects of being a vasodilator and a platelet inhibitor, but I know you've also shown that it has anti-inflammatory effects and antioxidant effects, and that it's yes, even yes. a neurotransmitter. <laughs> yes, it does so many different things. Once again, why should the body waste its time to produce a different signaling molecule for each of these effects when it can produce just one? nitric oxide, and the nitric oxide produces all of the effects. But again, the NO produces these effects very locally and only when called for. I mean, if, if you make nitric oxide to work as an anti-inflammatory, let's say if you have knee inflammation, you don't want it to cause penile erection, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to be localized. What can go wrong with that system? Are defects in nitric oxide synthesis or deployment responsible for diseases? Sure. That, that's an incredibly good question. And a question that we, we meaning the scientific community interested in nitric oxide, have been trying to answer for so long. What we see is that there may be localized def deficiencies of nitric oxide. For example, in coronary artery disease, where the coronary arteries or arteries associated with the heart develop inflammation, and this is going to cause damage to the endothelial cells within the arteries, that's going to diminish the NO formation, that's going to lead to vasoconstriction, blood clotting, and so on. But that'll occur locally, let's say in the heart, or it could occur in the brain, but may not occur anywhere else. So when the nerves that go to the, that innervate the erectile tissue, for example, in, in males and females for that matter, when those nerves release nitric oxide, there's a local effect and no effect anywhere else. Males with erectile dysfunction, of which there are hundreds of millions, patients with erectile dysfunction have a deficiency of nitric oxide in those nerves that innervate the erectile tissue. They may not have no deficiency anywhere else. So they may suffer from erectile dysfunction 
and not suffer from other diseases, and you may raise this, so I'm going to try to say it first, many people with diabetes, of course, have erectile dysfunction. So that's a problem with NO formation generally in all the arteries. So those patients with diabetes are, of course, at a much higher risk for any kind of cardiovascular disease, as you folks know better than I do, and also erectile dysfunction in men and, and a lack of sexual arousal in females. So there are a variety of kinds of conditions that can result from a problem with NO production, let's say. So how do we safely increase our natural production of nitric oxide? And when we do take actions, you know, like changing our diet, does that have a general effect or does that have a localized effect? Because you've pointed to the localized effect of nitric oxide. Yes. Well, if you had not mentioned the last part of your statement and you asked me, how can we assure that we have sufficient nitric oxide production? I was going to just say, follow your website. <laughs> if everybody follows your website, we won't have such a problem. And I've been doing that for a long, long time. In all the research that has gone on about asking the question, how can we boost or maintain our nitric oxide, which of course is the obvious question because NO is the good guy and we know what happens when you have a deficiency. So the obvious question is, all right, how do I make more? Can I take a pill? Can I do this? Can I do that? Well, can't take a pill. We don't know of any drugs yet that boost nitric oxide production. I would have thought by now we would have something like that, but, but we don't. And it's hard to get information out of drug industry if they haven't published anything yet, but I don't think we we're close to having a drug that would boost NO. But what we've learned from the research, really, and I say this to so many people, and they go, yeah, yeah, tell me another one. I just don't believe it for some reason. A healthy, balanced nutrition coupled with significant or appreciable or regular physical activity is what you must do to boost nitric oxide. I mean, it is so well known, as you folks know, that doing both of those, adopting a healthy lifestyle, is going to boost your nitric oxide, it's going to make you healthier, and it's going to increase your longevity, but give you a healthy longevity, not just living longer, but living a healthy life as you grow older. Do we know what is responsible for deficiency of nitrous oxide production? We know that certain conditions can bring it on. What comes first is, is less clear. For example, if someone is not eating a healthy diet, for example, eating a diet that's rich in salt or saturated fats or not eating enough fruits and vegetables, not getting enough antioxidants, which boost NO, the NO will gradually decrease. Even if you're healthy, young people that eat a poor diet will gradually develop NO deficiency. That will gradually be followed by mild cardiovascular disease, mild diabetes, which would then, unless reversed, would progress, get pro progressively worse, leading to a vicious cycle of decreased nitric oxide. So your question is, do we know what causes the decrease in NO? 
we don't have a clear-cut answer, but as I tell people, since I'm a Nobel laureate, I can give any answer I want, you know, <laughs> and get away with it. But I think, I think it's when we abuse our bodies that we cause the decrease in NO. Poor diet, sedentary lifestyle. That's by definition, you can show this in laboratory animal models and humans, you can show this. That leads to decreased NO. Years later, we see the resulting or consequential diseases of that. So for lack of a better answer, I say that not paying attention to your diet and not paying attention to physical activity will cause this decrease in nitric oxide. Well, let me ask you about another possible mechanism. We had James Nestor, who wrote the book Breath on Body of Wonder some months ago, and he was particularly interested in how breathing influences nitric oxide levels. Sure. And he postulated that breathing through your nose was going to be much more beneficial than breathing through your mouth. Yes. I agree 100%. I've spoken with him. I've read that on other podcasts. I've, I've talked about that. And this comes from an incredible series of simplistic experiments conducted by a group of researchers at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. Eddie Weitzberg and, and John Lundberg. I know them fairly well for years, well before this study. And what they showed is that the nasal mucosa, but not the mouth, produce nitric oxide. And they, it produces lots of nitric oxide, which can diffuse out of the nasal mucosa as a gas into the airway system. So if you inhale through your nose, you're going to bring in the nitric oxide into your lungs. So what these researchers postulated was that the physiological reason for your nose making the nitric oxide is that by breathing in, we can relax the airway smooth muscle, right? Cause bronchodilation. The NO goes into the lungs, causes the small pulmonary arteries and branches to dilate. That means more blood flows into the lungs. And that's great for your pulmonary function because then you could bring more air, therefore more oxygen into the lungs. You have more blood flow to pick up the oxygen and deliver it to the tissues and carry the carbon dioxide away as well. And so it just seems reasonable to speculate because it's really never been proven. It's, it's hard to prove that, but it, you, one can speculate that breathing through your nose, especially inhaling through your nose, is, is the best way to go. And you know, people who have been practicing yoga for hundreds and hundreds of years have all this breathing in your nose, all these kinds of things that you do during yoga. I don't do yoga because my body just doesn't move in that direction. But my, my wife does lots of yoga. And mm -hmm. breathing is very important in yoga. And not only breathing, let's carry that further. Even humming, humming, making vibrations in your nose was shown by the same group at the Karolinska Institute to increase the NO production by the nasal mucosa 10 to 15 fold. And so in many different kinds of yoga, you know, you, you hum you, and you breathe in through the nose and, you know, and, and it just makes you feel better. Now, that part of yoga I can do, and I've done that, and it does feel great. It's very relaxing. 
I've been really intrigued that there's now some research going on using nitric oxide nasal sprays for COVID. And there is some evidence that nitric oxide can have antimicrobial effects and antiviral effects. Absolutely, you're correct. There's no question about that. Inhaled nitric oxide, I think a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, the late Warren Zapal from Massachusetts General Hospital, who first used inhaled nitric oxide 20 years ago to give to infants with persistent pulmonary hypertension, treated these these newborns very successfully with the inhaled NO. Very safe. It just relieved their pulmonary hypertension and these babies right before your eyes. And I saw this in intensive care for neonates because Warren showed me this. These kids are purple. And after about a minute and a half, two minutes of breathing in nitric oxide, they turn pink. Let me tell you something. I'm not a physician, so you know I, I don't see people who get cured or whatever, but looking at something like that just brought tears to my eyes. It's just unbelievable. But one thing led to another, and when COVID came out, the same group plus other groups decided to try to see if inhaled nitric oxide could be effective in treating COVID. And as you said, Victoria, nitric oxide is antiviral, antimicrobial activity in general. When someone gets COVID, the principal cause of death is a massive thrombus formation in the lungs, intensive pulmonary blood clotting, vasoconstriction, because the virus destroys the endothelial cells of the pulmonary arteries. And so the idea was, okay, well, let's give the nitric oxide back, you know, by inhalation, and we can restore that. And so some of the early clinical trials showed that nitric oxide was effective in humans. In fact, the first study, I think, was done with pregnant females, and and it was a miraculous success. I know that there are about four or five clinical trials still in progress. I'm surprised the results are not out yet, but I hear that it's quite effective in keeping patients with COVID out of the intensive care unit, so therefore freeing up beds and, and oxygen and so on. So Here's another example where nitric oxide can do something else. I mean, it it, it really is incredible, if I must say so myself, how many effects nitric oxide has. And I wouldn't be surprised if endo was a great treatment for the effects of, of the flu, influenza virus. There are products available which claim, okay? Now, I'm going to use the word claim. I'm not putting them down and I'm not praising them. I'm just saying that they say, they claim that these sprays deliver nitric oxide. Well, the advertising is not good because you can't deliver nitric oxide since it's a gas with a half-life of two seconds. Now, when I go look up these products, I can't find out because they're patented and so on. I don't know what's in those products. So if it's an ingredient that somehow gets into your nose and reacts with something, to form nitric oxide, ah, that's great. And I'm hoping that's how it works because wouldn't it be something if you could just use a nasal spray, you know, when you feel symptoms coming on and if you get catch it early enough, it could be useful in alleviating some of the symptoms. I'm all for that, but you know, I, I have to wait and see um, how that works out. I mean, there's, so far as I know, there's no prescription compounds that have been submitted to the FDA 
for approval. And spraying in your nose is considered for external use only, really. And the FDA does not control supplements and drugs like that. So it may be possible to purchase those and, and it could be a great benefit. I, I'm hoping that they will be of great benefit, but I, I need to see more information, which I haven't seen. Body of Wonder is produced by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona. Internationally recognized for innovative health and wellness programs, evidence-based research, and clinical standards. The center offers listeners a wide range of free resources to live and maintain a healthy lifestyle, including online learning, meditations, and short videos. To find out more, go to azcim.org slash podcast. That's azcim.org slash podcast. I want to go back and ask you one thing I'm confused about. You said that there's no pill to deliver nitric oxide, and yet most people consider a Viagra a pill that does that (laughs) for erectile dysfunction. I realize that's one effect. And then you described the use of inhaled nitric oxide in babies who had pulmonary hypertension and a potential use of inhaled in COVID. So it sounds like we do have some mechanisms to deliver nitric oxide, at least in particular situations. Yeah, well, thanks very much for actually correcting me on that. that. That's true. You know, because when you said, is there a way to, when I said there's no pill that we can increase nitric oxide, I meant generally, systemically. When you administer in nitric oxide gas mixed with air or oxygen by inhalation, you're delivering the nitric oxide into the lungs and nowhere else. Once, But it does a great thing in the lungs. It could save your life, could prevent inflammation, you know, and so on. Uh, once that nitric oxide diffuses into the pulmonary circulation, it's instantaneously destroyed by the blood. Oxyhemoglobin, you know, hemoglobin with oxygen bound to it, can destroy nitric oxide in less than a 10 milliseconds. That's how quick it is. So NO cannot produce a downstream effect let's say that. It works locally. Okay, so that answers that. Now, Viagra, luckily, has a very selective effect. Viagra, you know, without getting into the details, Viagra or sildenafil, and then the the other drugs related to that, work only in the erectile tissue. The way Viagra works is nitric oxide produces all these effects, right? But nitric oxide produces many of these effects by triggering another signaling molecule, which then produces the effects. That signaling molecule is cyclic GMP. You know, we have cyclic AMP in the body, we have cyclic GMP. Nitric oxide stimulates the enzyme that makes cyclic GMP, and it's the cyclic GMP that is a vasodilator, a smooth muscle relaxant, an inhibitor of platelet aggregation, and so on. Well, cyclic GMP is always rapidly degraded in the body by another enzyme called phosphodiesterase. Phosphodiesterase destroys cyclic GMP. You don't want signaling molecules to be around for more than a second or two. Otherwise, the effect is too prolonged. In patients with erectile dysfunction, The problem is that they're not making a lot of nitric oxide. The nerves are not releasing a lot of nitric oxide because those nerves may be damaged. 
either because of diabetes or other problems. The phosphodiesterase that's present is going to destroy the cyclic GMP as soon as it's increased. And so there's no erectile function. If you give an inhibitor, if you give a drug that's an inhibitor of the phosphodiesterase, the cyclic GMP has time to accumulate to the level that can produce an erectile response. That's how Viagra works. So it's not really delivering NO, it's increasing the action of NO. It's boosting the effects of NO. How about inhaled amyl nitrite or sublingual nitroglycerin? What's the mechanism of action there? Yeah, sublingual nitroglycerin works precisely through an NO mechanism. That was one of the first experiments on nitric oxide we conducted, let's see, when it was that, 1980. I remember 1980. That seems like a long time ago, and of course, it is a long time ago. <laughs> and so nitroglycerin is a nitro compound. It actually has three nitro groups on it. And so what we showed is that the nitroglycerin, when it gets into the arteries, is actually in the smooth muscle of the arteries. Nitroglycerin is very lip lipid-soluble, so it just permeates the blood vessels. And when it gets into the smooth muscle of the arteries, it's metabolized. And one of those nitro groups, one of the three nitro groups on nitroglycerin comes off and is converted to nitric oxide. So that was our first experiment with nitric oxide. Nitroglycerin works by being converted to nitric oxide. Amyl nitrate works by being converted to NO. Sodium nitroprusside, which is used in the OR to control blood pressure, right? That is metabolized to NO. So all these different nitro compounds are called nitro vasodilators to distinguish them from all, all the other ones. And then there are other ones. I'm sure you were isosorbide dinitrate. There, there, there are several of them. They all work the same way. They are metabolized to NO. And then the NO produces locally that vasodilator action. And, and that's why NO is, not, that's why nitroglycerin is so exquisitely potent in relieving angina pectoris, right? In patients with an impending heart attack. You put it under the tongue, it gets absorbed. All you need is a fractional amount of NO to produce a powerful vasodilator effect. So, so that works. But I think I know what you're getting at, Andy. You can't take the nitroglycerin to deliver NO generally in the body because what'll happen is that two things. One, you'll get a profound and fatal drop in blood pressure. You'll decrease perfusion of the brain, and that'll be it. I mean, th th that's a very powerful vasodilator. Also, you have to put the nitroglycerin uh, under the tongue sublingually to work, because the, as you know, the circulation sublingually avoids going to the liver first. It circulates throughout the body. If you take something orally and swallow it, Whatever gets absorbed goes into the circulation that goes first to the liver before it goes anywhere else. Remember, the liver is a detoxifying organ. It's a huge organ in your body. Whatever you eat that gets into the blood goes to the liver first. So the liver can, can try to kill or inactivate whatever poisons you've ingested. Same thing for nitroglycerin. When you take nitroglycerin orally, it doesn't work because the nitroglycerin is destroyed in what we call a first-pass 
hepatic metabolism. You know, I, I love your questions, and you know, I wish I could say, yes, we have a way of increasing <laughs> nitric oxide systemically and all that. Believe me, so many people have thought about this, and much to my dismay, we've not made it yet. But, uh, you know, I'm retired, and whenever I give talks, I have a, a lot of young people ask me, you know, is it still a good idea to work in the field of nitric oxide? They say, they argue that a Nobel Prize has already been awarded for nitric oxide, so why should I work in that field? I said, well, well first of all, you're not working to get a Nobel Prize, okay? <laughs> Don't ever put that on your mind because you'll never get it if that's what you want to do. I always tell them that, you know, my principle, the reason I worked so hard with nitric oxide was not to get a Nobel. I never thought about it. It was to keep my job at UCLA. <laughs> That's why. But I encourage them to continue working on nitric oxide because there's so many things that are yet unknown. For example, developing a drug that could boost the enzyme N-O-synthase that makes nitric oxide. Maybe they can make a more specific drug. You know, antibody technology is incredible. People have learned, chemists and biologists have learned to link drugs to certain antibodies that could take the drug to specific sites in the body. And then, and then if you have the right linker, the right chemistry, one could remove the antibody and then the drug could act right there, perhaps in stimulating NO formation or even releasing NO. There's so many ideas. And since I've retired, I can't do any of those. But what I could do is try to convince other people to do that. Lou, you recently published a book uh, about your life called Dr. No, a wonderful title, Dr. N-O. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, this was a, a book, a long time coming. It's a memoir about my life starting from the time I was a, a little toddler through the time and after I received the Nobel Prize in Stockholm. It's a book I wanted to write uh, for many, many years. I've written so many scientific articles, I wasn't sure how to write uh, a memoir such that the lay <laughs> public would understand. But many of my colleagues, my scientific colleagues who knew me personally, said, you know, so many things happened in your life, Lou. You have to write about it so that, so that other scientists, other professionals can read it, but also other young people can read it because it may be motivational for them. And so I hired a a writing coach who was able to help me write in a way that did not read like a review article in Nature <laughs> or something. So that was very helpful. You know, being an, uh, the, the son of Italian immigrants, my parents were born in Italy. They met each other in, in Brooklyn, New York. They came over separately. They never went to school, not even kindergarten, nothing. They never went to school. They got married. I came along. And uh, my English was terrible. When I entered first grade, the teacher told my parents that I was going to have a lot of trouble in elementary school because my English was terrible. Very quickly, of course, how to speak and understand uh, English. And so what I'm trying to say is, from that point on, I developed a, a tremendous interest in science. And, but despite all the handicaps and language barriers, I was able to make it to the top of my profession in medicine and be awarded the Nobel Prize. So, you know, when you have the motivation and passion to do something, nothing can keep you uh, back. But it, it was a 
one hell of a roller coaster ride. And that's what I try to describe in the book. And I hope that that's motivational to many other people, teenagers, people in their 20s who read that book and understand that, you know, if I could do it, there's no reason why they can't do it. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on Body of Wonder and sharing your journey to developing the science behind nitric oxide, helping us understand the physiology and the various mechanisms and encouraging our listeners to be that scientist who figures out how to (laughs) discover a drug that might uh, systemically raise nitric oxide in appropriate ways. Yes, yes. Thank you. (laughs) It's been fun. Listeners, this is Dr. Victoria Mazes. We would love for you to send us your questions for Andy, myself, or for our guests. You can call us and leave a voicemail by dialing 520-621-3950. Again, 520-621-3950. Or you can submit a question by going to our website, azcim.org slash podcast. Again, azcim.org slash podcast. We will review your questions and try to answer as many as possible on our programs. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Body of Wonder brought to you by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. If you like the show, please rate us five stars, follow the show, and leave a review. To learn more about integrative healing and the center, go to azcim.org slash podcast. That's azcim.org slash podcast.